everyone, and welcome to MMA Fan Podcast. This is your host, Justin Henson. We're going to talk about UFC 229, give some analysis and some review to it today. But before we do that, we're going to go and jump into some news related to other events in UFC that's been announced in the last couple weeks. So the headliner for UFC 231 is going to be Max Holloway versus Brian Ortega for the featherweight title. I'm really glad to see this fight. I think it paid off for a fighter not to take an interim belt once. And I uh, I commend Brian Ortega for that because that was really awesome move on his part to be like, no, nah, I don't want an interim title fight. I want the title fight. And they also announced the headliner for UFC 230, which is like a month away. So these fighters are going to have like a five-week fight camp, which is somewhat irregular for most fighters. Usually they'll do a four, maybe sometimes they'll do a four-week. Usually they'll do six, eight, or 12 weeks to prepare for a fight. And this is going to be a title fight. So it'll be interesting. But before I tell you who those two fighters are that are going to be headlining that event, we're going to go ahead and get into some rumors that have happened in the last week of who was going to headline that event and why those fights didn't come about. So one possible fight that they talked about for the main event was going to be Yoel Romero versus Alexander Gustafson for an, essentially a number one contender fight at the lightweight light heavyweight strap, which I thought that sounds great. And I'm glad Yoel Romero is finally going up to light heavyweight because Dana said, yeah, he's not fighting at uh, middleweight again. He's going to have to go up to light heavyweight. And then he had Yoel Romero fight Whitaker for the middleweight title. So hopefully there is something to that rumor and hopefully Yoel Romero is going to up to light heavyweight and if he does I think seeing him fight Gustafson would be a good fight seeing him fight OSP would probably be a good fight if OSP can ever get back up to that higher rankings and I think uh, Yoel Romero versus John Jones in the future would also be a great fight it'll be interesting because I'm pretty sure Yoel Romero is quite a bit shorter than John Jones, which most people are, but he seemed, if I recall his stature correctly, he's shorter and super big body though. <laughs> Another possibility that they talked about was Alexander Gustafson versus John Jones for the light heavyweight title. Y'all are probably wondering just what I am. How are they going to fight for the light heavyweight title when Daniel Cormier has the light heavyweight title? Oh, they were just going to strip the guy. Oh, why? Because it's only been six months since he defended the title. Interesting. What are the rules on that again? Oh, we don't have any rules on when we strip fighters. We just make it up as we go. Yeah, that's about right. Let's see, if I recall, Conor McGregor kept the title for a year for no reason without defending it before they stripped him. He kept another one for a year and a half before they stripped him. He was completely fine medically. He could have fought. 
they never scheduled a fight for the title. They've scheduled fights against Diaz. They've scheduled boxing fights. But no title defense fights. Yeah, let's just let them have the title forever and hold up the whole lightweight division, which, by the way, was stacked and still is stacked at the time. I mean, we're talking about Anthony Showtime Pettis was ranked 12 in April. He was ranked 8 coming into this weekend. And so to do that fight, they were going to have DC relinquish the light heavyweight title after six months of not defending it. I'm sorry, but we need to have some standards in, in the UFC about when to strip champions and when to not. It used to seem like there were. You know, if you didn't defend your belt for a year, un, you know, strip them. Unless there was something magically going on. The last time someone kept a title this long before Connor, I can think of was Cain Velasquez or I think Tyrone Woodley's in between his two defenses might have been a long time, but Cain Velasquez was sick and coming back from injury. Um, Brock Lesnar held his title for like two years because he was he had diverticulitis and was dealing with that for a good amount of time. Woodley had his title for a long time in between defenses because he was coming back from a shoulder injury. So, yeah, it's a little weird. It seems to be, unless you're Conor McGregor, we're going to strip you within a year of not defending your title. Because they also stripped the flyweight champ the women's flyweight champion Montano after not defending it for nine months. That was a little dumb to me as well, but I'm pretty sure I already went over that in the last podcast. So yeah, the headliner for UFC 230 is not going to be Nate Diaz versus Dustin Poirier for no title, which I think it should have been. That would have been a fine headliner. It would have been a fine main event without a strap. We don't have to have a strap on the line. Instead, we're going to have... Valentina Chevchenko versus Soraya Sajara Eubanks. Eubanks, I'm sorry if I butchered your name. If you let me know how to pronounce it correctly, I will do my best from now on to do so. So, they're going to fight for the Women's Flyweight Championship. And there's going to be a Women's Flyweight Champion crowned that night. Now, here's the kicker. If I'm Joanna, I'm upset because they had already scheduled at UFC 232 in December Valentina Chevchenko versus Joanna Jurdetschik for the women's flyweight strap. And then a week later, they took it away from her and didn't even tell Joanna. Joanna said she found out through media that she wasn't getting a title shot. That's a little messed up. And then we're gonna we've got one more piece of non-229 related news, and then we'll go ahead and it's semi-229 related, but that's just because of one of the fights that got scratched. So the UFC is no longer releasing USADA via possible USADA violations until they've reached a conclusion. 
they've essentially come to this conclusion just because John Jones, you know, he popped for, a t there's been a lot of fighters that have popped for tainted supplements and they kind of get all this scrutiny on them about popping for these supplements that are later found out that the person didn't even really know that they took them. They did not purposely take them. Um, and so then it kind of just backfires on them, which reminds me, I can't believe I didn't even write any notes about John Jones in here. John Jones is returning. He'll be back October 28th. I don't know if that was talked about in the last podcast or if that was announced prior, prior to that or not, but he's going to be coming back. He'll be able to fight October 28th is when his suspension will be up. He got a 15-month suspension for tainted supplement, and USADA said he snitched on someone, which also got him a lighter sentence. John Jones is disagreeing, saying he didn't snitch on someone. It's a whole bunch of drama in the UFC. I'm going to assume USADA's not telling us a fighter snitched if they didn't snitch. And that, you sh that John Jones probably gave other people up, whether it was in football, MMA, or what, what I don't know. No one really knows yet besides USADA and John Jones. I don't know that we'll ever know. Um, unrelated news, if you haven't seen all the memes yet, about John Jones snitching on Sean O'Malley. If you were excited as I was for Sean O'Malley to be fighting on this card, you're, you were probably a little disappointed and wondering, I thought Sean was fighting last night. He was supposed to be fighting. Earlier this week, it, during a, he failed a drug test, which he says is possibly due to a tainted caffeine pill that was tainted with Osterine. He talked about it in a Twitter video because at the time UFC wasn't releasing anything, and this is kind of where it comes into the fallout of like, so what happens when they just don't? show up or the fight gets scratched we kind of assume something is up you can't like if a title fight just gets scratched because of you know a failed test what we're just not going to assume especially if some fighters have a history of it you know if weird if a fight with weirdo got scratched we're going to assume he failed a test if a fight with john jones got scratched you know, we would assume he failed the test, at least if we were told, hey, John Jones isn't allowed to fight anymore. Which, by the way, if you didn't know, John Jones has two strikes. Cocaine doesn't count as a strike for USADA, so John Jones gets to still fight. So yeah, Sean O'Malley posted a video to his Twitter to let his fans know, because he felt like it was, you know, he felt like his fans should know why he wasn't going to be fighting this weekend. I'm a little bummed I didn't get to see Sean fight. Hopefully they'll figure something out soon so Sean can get back in there. You know, Sean hasn't been quite around long enough to really say whether or not he uses PEDs. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt though. And say, you know, you probably don't. And until I, you know, there's some evidence that says you've used PEDs or you did use PEDs, use PEDs, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. Or any supplement that gives you enhances. And then I've got one more note that's somewhat 229 related. Bruce, what's up with these suits? <laughs> 
I just mean this in a light-hearted, funny way. I always get a kick out of seeing what ridiculously expensive suit you bought just for this pay-per-view. But the last few of them have been very interesting. I personally wouldn't wear them, but I just love looking and seeing what suit you're wearing this week. For this pay-per-view, he had a, on a dark blue suit with like these blue, swir lighter blue swirls going around it. it. It was interesting, almost as interesting as the purple suit he had on a few pay-per-views back. Just a little curious, Bruce. <laughs> Just poking a little lighthearted fun. So, I got Fight Pass after the last pay-per-view, which I think is actually a really great decision. Um, fortunately, I'm not sponsored by the UFC and not sponsored by Fight Pass. Because this would be awesome to just be giving y'all a commercial about them. But it's a really great decision. If you miss a pay-per-view and you want to watch it the following week, you don't have to do it illegally. As many of y'all do, I know. But you can go, you, you know, it's 10 bucks a month. You can watch any pay-per-view. I mean, any UFC pay-per-view. I went and watched UFC 1. They have all the way back the very beginning they have all the pay-per-views they release them about a week later for the main card the prelims are usually on their next day you get a, three or four extra fights every pay-per-view you also get the fight the fight nights get posted like the next day too the fight pass fight nights get are on there and you can easily just type in the search bar for a specific fighter you want to see fight and it'll bring up a bunch of videos of that fighter. Or you can tell it, hey, I've got half an hour. Show me knockouts or submissions. And it'll find some really good knockouts or submissions for you. They also have videos that they're doing right now with the history of the UFC, which I really enjoyed. Um, I remember reading all about this and learning about this as a big MMA fan. So, yeah, it's really good it's i think it's really worth that ten dollars a month i've got an amazing amount of use out of it especially with doing research for the podcast so yeah it's it's really worth it in my opinion and also they've got events from pride wec strike force and they have these smaller promotions that i think are kind of kind of have contracts with them right now that the UFC is helping out or like sponsoring or some some kind of deal and they put all their they post a bunch of their events on there too so there's a lot of content on fight pass and I think it's really worth it um, so with that I actually got to watch the fight pass prelims this week this time and give you guys a review on those as well. I missed one of the fights, which I was kind of disappointed about. I'll probably end up watching that fight later today. Um, if you want to hear my analysis on that, you can see it on our Twitter page. It'll be MMA underscore uh, fan podcast, I want to say, or MMA fan underscore podcast. If you look up MMA fan, You'll see it. You should see us. I'm pretty sure no one else is called MMA fan. Because 
all the other really cool names were already taken, but I refuse to change the name at this point because it's grown on me. I think it's fitting for the podcast and the concept of the podcast. So the fights this week took place in Las Vegas, not Nevada. Las Vegas hasn't adopted the new ABC Unified Rules, which I don't think really came into play too much here. I think there was maybe one illegal knee that wasn't caught by a ref, or, but that was about it. So our first fight was Ryan LaFlair versus Tony Martin in the weatherweight division, welterweight division. I can't believe I just combined featherweight and welter. So Tony Martin has five first round finishes, eight wins by submission, a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt, and is 13 and four. Ryan LaFlair has four first round finishes, four wins by KO, three by armbar, and dude looked shredded. He was he also came in at 14 and 2. So in the first round, LaFlair hits Tony with a direct kick to the groin before the, the ref has him step back and gives Tony a couple seconds to recover. Once they're ready, they come back in. Martin is uh, tags. Martin tags LaFlair with some good hits to the face. Uh, other than that, the round was pretty close with both guys landing strikes, but I think I ended up giving that one to Martin just because he had some better strikes. Um, and LaFleur maintained control of the octagon throughout the round. It was kind of, you know, I saw it for Martin. Could have gone for Tony as well. But uh, you'll see why that's not as important in a minute. <laughs> and the second round, LaFleur got a takedown, but maintained, uh, he got taken, knocked down by Martin. But LaFleur maintained defending himself against Martin. Managed to defend himself long enough, stayed, to stay in the fight. He... There was a bad cut on LaFleur's forehead by the end of the round. Uh, Martin attempted an armbar on LaFleur. And, it, oh, I was just reading my notes. Like, why is there a question after this? There's a question after this because LaFleur knows armbars. He had three submissions by armbar. So, yeah, he didn't. He didn't actually get the armbar. LaFlair didn't let him get it in. But LaFlair gets out and Martin gets back on top. Both guys make it back to a standing position. I gave a round two for Martin as well. Um, in between the break, LaFlair had deep gas. He was already getting tired. Come back, LaFlair had a, connected with a nice... Inside leg kick that trips Martin up. Martin quickly got back to his feet. And then maybe 10 seconds later, he landed a beautiful roundhouse kick to the head that dropped LaFleur. Before Martin secured the TKO victory with a few more head hooks on the ground. 
just one minute into the third round. Then we have a fight that I didn't even know someone, this guy was still fighting in the UFC. Cause it's been, I feel like it's been years since I've really seen him in a, in a big name fight. We had Gray Maynard versus Nick Lentz for the light, for the lightweight division. Gray Maynard used to be in the featherweight. He jumped into the lightweight division. He's had a couple fights in lightweight now, and now he's fighting Nick Lentz. Neither guy are ranked. Nick Lentz has 13 first round finishes and has a total of 43 no, 42 fights in his career coming into this. Nick Lentz was 30 wins, 9 losses, 2 draws, and 1 no contest. Gray Maynard is now 39 years old. He has the fastest KO in lightweight history with a KO victory in 9 seconds. And his record is not quite as happy. His is 14 wins, 7 losses, one draw and one no contest. Okay, so in the first round, Lance catches Maynard with a hook that dazes him before Lance pushes him up against the octagon, continuing to land solid strikes on Maynard. Lentz ends up taking round one, raining down strikes as he maintained control on the ground and in the clinch. Green Maynard did not look very good in this first round at all. He it was just like you know, Gray Maynard used to come out just swinging. And I remember watching him fight people like Frankie Edgar and him being very erratic. That was not the great Maynard that showed up during this fight. I think it could have been a possible 10-8 round for Lentz. So we start round two with Lentz giving an eye poke to Gray Maynard. They stop for a few seconds, for maybe 20 or 30 seconds. Uh, the ref has the doc come in, check on. Maynard, Doc says fight. So they come back in. Lentz continuously lands his counters to Maynard's strikes until he gets the KO victory with a nice, beautifully placed roundhouse kick to the head. And Maynard's legs literally fell out from under him. I mean, he got kicked and like his legs went backwards and his face went down to the mat his legs legit fell out from under him <laughs> so Lentz picks up the KO victory one minute 19 seconds into the second round then we move on to the main event of the uh, the main fight on the fight past prelims with a women's bantamweight fight between number 12 Lena Landsberg and Yana Kunitskaya. I kind of like that last name. So Kunitskaya and Lena were both former Invicta featherweight fighting champion, bantamweight champions. Kunitskaya has seven first round finishes. 
she also had a three and a half inch reach advantage. She was 10 wins, four losses, and one no contest coming into this. Lena was a former IFMA Muay Thai champ, had four wins by KO, and a record of eight wins, three losses. So, I have a few notes on this thing, on this fight. Mainly, it's a 30-27 fight, with Kuniskaya picking up the win against Lena. Kuniskaya pretty much just take down, clinch, ground and pound, just kept control of the fight, basically the whole fight. Um, she went for a choke attempt, or there was also a choke attempt by Lena. Very unsuccessful, it didn't last very long. Um, Kuniskaya has good wrestling skills, she used it during this fight. And... Just kept going for the ground and the clinch and pounding on Lena. It was a pretty decent fight. Um, it was very one-sided, though. And Kuniskaya just, yeah, she 30-27 easily against Landsberg. So then we start off the fight, the FS1 prelims with a lightweight bout between Alan Patrick and Scott Holtzman. So round one started off with a clash of kicks with both guys going for three roundhouse kicks simultaneously. They, they both went for a roundhouse kick to the gut and landed at the same time. And again, and again, at the same time. It's just like clash of kicks. <laughs> That's what this started out being. So, then Patrick, uh, I also had to know, Patrick kept his weight on his front leg and Holtzman tripped him twice. Because Holtzman went for leg kicks to Patrick's first, to his front leg. And Patrick kept losing his balance because all his weight was right there. And they finished the round with some ground and pound from Patrick. They go into round two. Holtzman gets a takedown. Or Holtzman defends a takedown. And connects with a hook that rocks Patrick. Holtzman, ends up, Holtzman ended up taking the second round. It was a pretty even fight. Or even round to an extent. Holtzman got a few more things in than Patrick did. Defended Patrick's takedowns. He ended up taking, picking up the round in that one. But we go into the third round. And Holtzman ended up landing a counter right hook to Patrick. And picking up the KO victory. So then we move on to the second female fight of the night in the women's bantamweight division with Tanya Evinger fighting number nine, Espen Ladd. Pretty sure Evinger was ranked as well, but I failed to write that down in my notes. So in round one, Ladd takes Evinger down, transitions, and just ground and pounds 
for the TKO victory, 3 minutes and 26 seconds into the first round. So Espen Ladd is 7-0 and at 23 years old and got a victory over Tanya Evinger, which at this point, Evinger's not really a no-name in the women's band. Wait, people have heard of her. I've heard of her multiple times. I've seen her fight multiple times. This uh, Espen Ladd is so far undefeated and beat on Avenger for the TKO victory and got it. It was pretty good fighting. Next, there was a fight between Vincent Luque and, sorry Turner, but I failed to write your first name down. So, Turner went for a spinning back fist and for the first time I've ever seen someone actually countered a spinning back fist and Luke caught him. Turner dropped. I don't remember how far into the fight this was, but Luke beat Turner with the counter to the spinning back fist. I wish I had more notes on that fight for you. I'm probably going to go back and rewatch that fight. I didn't take a lot of notes during that fight because. I was trying to save the rest of my night because there were some complications I'll talk about after this next fight. What? I feel like there's something wrong with my notes. Oh! Oh, wait. Okay. That, that's what's wrong with my notes is I didn't put a line to differentiate the prelims versus the pay-per-view like I usually do. So the reason I missed, I really wasn't focused on the Luke versus Turner fight is because, so I dropped my girlfriend off at work. I was going to pick my girlfriend up later and go back to Buffalo Wild Wings to finish watching the fight, which, you know, seems like, oh, what about your table? Which is where this problem comes in. I was supposed to meet my cousin in a different city to watch the fights and so there was you know he was gonna be there we were all gonna watch the fights he, I would go pick her up come back miss a little bit of a fight and then I'd have it you know we'd have a table so after this fight happens I'm looking around there's not a single table left. My cousin texted me about 6.20 saying, yeah, I'm not going to make it. Yeah, I was starting to wonder about that. Okay, cool. So how do I pick my girlfriend up now and make it back to the fights? Because my girlfriend got off at 10 o'clock. Or, well, I thought she, I assumed she was getting off at 10 o'clock, but she got off a little earlier. So this next, the next fight was Juicier, Juicier Formiga versus Sergio Pettis, a fight I've been looking to for the last week, which I'm going to end up watching on Fight Pass later and giving you updates on, on the Twitter, on my Twitter page for MMA Fan Podcast. So the Luke and Turner fight ends. I get the check, I you know, cash out, 
I hop in my car, I go pick my girlfriend up. Right now, Pettis and um, Formiga is happening. I pick her up. On my way to picking my girlfriend up, I called five different places. Do you have any tables left? 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 There's a Hooters that we went to that had four tables left when I called them. By the time I got there, they didn't have four tables left, but they were doing cafeteria seating. So we ended up sitting with another couple and watching the fights with them. Was got there about halfway through the Fleece Herrig versus Michelle Watterson fight. So I'm also missing some notes on that fight as well. <laughs> but from what I saw in the third round, it was a very competitive fight. Um, there's a straight front kick as that Watterson landed as Herrick was coming in. It looked pretty rough. Um, Watterson ended up taking the win. One note I wrote down because it was the second time in the night I'd seen refs stand fighters up while still being active. Uh, what's up with that? Did we come up with a new rule where we just stand fight, fights up now after two minutes? You know, if fighters are transitioning or they're still hitting, let them fight. Don't care about all these people booing. It's not important. Don't let them dictate what fights we put on because we keep putting on dumb fights that make no sense and doing double standard dumb stuff because of that. So stop doing that. But yeah, why are we doing that? Let them fight. Unless they're like laying on the mat doing nothing or if it was like Derek Lewis versus Francis Nagano where they literally circled the cage for 15 minutes with two strikes landing the whole fight. Um, then yeah, get involved. But if they're doing stuff, let them fight. It's part of the game. Like during the Khabib versus Connor fight, you didn't stand them up. And if you would have stood them up, it would have changed. It could have changed the whole fight. It's part of the game. <laughs> you know. So Waterson versus Herrig was our first fight on the uh, main card. Then we jump into number two Derek Lewis versus number five Alexander Volkov for a heavyweight bout. How is Derek Lewis ranked number two right now? How did he pass Razor Blades and rankings? Razor Blades' last two wins were phenomenal wins. Derek Lewis, it popped up saying he had he was on a he had back-to-back -back wins, which means he won his last two fights. His last fight was against Francis Nagano and was the most boring fight in UFC history. There were two strikes landed in 15 minutes. They didn't go to the ground. They literally circled for 15 minutes. Herb Dean who usually doesn't do this, brought the guys in and said, guys, I really need you to fight. And then they still didn't fight. And what, somehow that granted Derek Lewis to go up in rankings? That's ridiculous. We should, when Brock and DC fight, we should have Stipe versus Razorblades number one contender. And if we don't, 
then Stipe needs to get the next shot. And you need to have razor blades against Lewis. So razor blades can put Lewis out because this is so done. So done with this. <laughs> oh, and I even made a note here. Can Lewis really be called the Black Beast anymore? And I think this fight kind of helps with that question too because his last so he fought Nagano did he look like a beast to you no no and if he did I want to know which fight you were watching because neither guy looked exciting at all during that fight literally the most boring fight I have ever seen please do not remind me about this fight <laughs> ever and then tonight, he didn't look like a beast either. So Volkov is on a six-fight, what came into this with a six-fight win streak, 15 first-round wins, 20 wins by KO with a record of 30 wins, six losses. Volkov, Volkov probably had a 30-25 fight. This was like... Volkov was probably winning this fight 30 to 25. There were 14 seconds left in the fight when the fight got called. And you're probably thinking right now, that's a Volkov one. No! Lewis pulled out the biggest upset I've seen. He literally lost all three rounds easily, without a doubt, lost all three rounds, was just getting beat up by Volkov. He did not look like a beast at all. And ends up pulling off an upset victory with 14 seconds left. So Lewis connected with a hook that dropped Volkov. And when after Volkov dropped, Lewis came in, connected with two maybe two or three more hooks while Volkov was on the ground before he got the knockout victory. Like Volkov dropped. But up to that last 20 seconds of the fight, Lewis lost. He had that fight lost and somehow pulled this off. Okay, so I'm going to tell you now, UFC, I do not want to see Lewis getting a title shot over this. It was a terrible performance. He got a good shot in, got lucky, and it was a terrible performance other than that. Absolutely awful. His last two performances were awful. Again, how did he jump over razor blades in the rankings? It's ludicrous. <sighs> okay, let's jump into something a little better. Oh, rep, the ref during that fight was also Herb Dean. Good job, Herb. And I was kind of just laughing because Herb wrapped the fight, the, Lewis's last fight. And I'm sure he was probably thinking, God, hopefully these guys do something different. <laughs> so then we jump into the third fight on the pay-per-view with number 12, Dominique Reyes, going against number 7, Ovin St. Peru of the light heavyweight division with big Dan Mergliotti as the ref. Reyes came into this fight. 9-0. and L. I missed OSP's record, but it's definitely not as good as that. 
OSP has a three inch reach advantage. So I'm not even really going to look at the majority of my notes for this fight because they're really not even that important. I got the, I, I got like everything I need for this fight embedded in my head because I was so disappointed in OSP. I was rooting for OSP during this fight, knowing that there's a good possibility of an upset from Reyes, but I was rooting for OSP. So OSP managed to get two takedowns, but didn't get anything really off of them. Um, Reyes had clinch, octagon control, smashed OSP with lots of solid hits, and kept doing that. OSP kept trying to go for the takedown. He was clearly really looking for this Von Fluke submission. Like, OSP, we know you can fight standing up. We know you can. You have other victories standing up. And you do phenomenal kicks, too. One of my favorite things about your fights is you, know, you have good stand-up and you have good ground game. Except tonight, you kept shooting for the ground. If you can't get the ground, don't focus on the ground. If you can get it, go ahead. But if you can't get it, fight, man. Come on, OSP. <laughs> So Reyes ended up getting a KO victory. Oh, well, I, I, I take that back. Reyes got a decision victory after essentially beating OSP for three rounds, but with like one second left in the fight, Reyes knocked OSP, essentially knocked OSP out. OSP fell down. They were like, I saw the little 10 second clock disappear up the screen. And a few seconds later, I see Reyes just nails OSP and OSP falls. And then Reyes walks away and Herb like, jumps in between them. Apparently Herb jumped in between them because the fight was over. The round was over. The fight was over. And I was just like, so was, did he get the KO victory or were they going to decision? He didn't get the KO victory. He should have gotten the KO victory, in my opinion. It would have been pretty cool to get KO victory four minutes, 59 seconds into the third round. That would have been pretty funny. Okay, so from here we jump into the co-main event of the evening with the fighter I think that should have gotten a shot at Khabib, Tony Ferguson, versus... Showtime Anthony Pettis for a lightweight title, uh, lightweight fight, which most likely is a number one contender fight, which will be interesting what comes out of this. So, Tony has a four-inch reach advantage. Tony and Showtime are both former light, well, I'm going to call Tony a former lightweight champion. It, it was interim, but I mean... He, essentially, he was the former lightweight champion. Connor wasn't there. Connor wasn't going to defend at the time. He, Tony was the former lightweight champion. Semantics. Two former lightweight champions were fighting in this. Oh, yeah. And Tony walked in with an 11 fight win streak. Currently the longest in the lightweight. I think lightweight maybe in UFC history is what they said or in any division currently in UFC right now. 
So it was a close, the first round was a close round. Tony takes round one slightly with a few more strikes that were solid strikes. Both guys were throwing really good strikes during this round. And then round two, there's an MCR song that I believe described round two very well. If you haven't heard it, it is Blood Hidden Track on the Black Parade. And that is how you should describe round two. Both guys were just going at it. In my opinion, this fight gets bite of the night. They were both going at it. They both got cut open. There was blood everywhere. Pettis ended up knocking down Tony twice before Pettis got on top of him. Started working some ground and pound. And Tony was also... Def- himself and they then they later stood back up and kept striking each other for a really good round and then in the middle of in between rounds two and three you know they go back to the corners um and all of a sudden the fight was called and i was like wait, wait, wait what's going on what is going on showtime quit During one of the times he managed to knock Tony down, he broke his hand. And I don't know whether it was the wrapping under his glove or whether like he messed his thumb up as part of breaking his hand. But it didn't look very pretty. Um, and so yeah, he wasn't move, really moving his hand whenever they announced the official decision. And so yeah, Tony Ferguson wins. They both congratulate each other, said, you know, you did a really good job. And the post-fight interview, Showtime afterwards, like, yeah, I broke my hand during one of the hits on Ferguson, uh, but that's no excuse. Ferguson's just a really good fighter. See you down the line, man. So unfortunately, we're probably not going to see Showtime fight for a little while because now he's got to go get his hand fixed and rehabbed. So we'll see what comes of that. Then we have the WWE main. Oh, wait. No, the UFC. Yeah, yeah. The UFC main event for 229. With the guy that brings WWE-like stuff to UFC. Conor McGregor challenging Khabib Nurmagomedov. For the lightweight strap. In my opinion, a fight that shouldn't be happening, but it is. So I accepted it and I watched it with hopes that Khabib would win. And really, during this fight, um, yeah, Khabib won. <laughs> Khabib won, and if he wouldn't have won with the submission, he would have still won. Like, so far, he was still winning. He won almost every round, pretty much. I think... I think I gave... Yeah, I gave round three to Connor. I I slightly gave round three to Connor. One, two, and four were Khabib so far. So, yeah, Khabib was winning. Um... It felt like I was watching the Edson Barbosa fight again <laughs> because that's pretty much what he did. 
Khabib stood with Connor for a lot more of this fight. Um, they both landed some good strikes. Khabib got some strikes that knocked Connor down a couple times throughout the fight. Then he, you know, got a few takedowns in. Connor defended about one or two takedowns, I think. I think there was a third one that they said Connor defended, but I don't think there really was. Um, so then they get to the ground, and Khabib just does Khabib's thing, puts his weight on him, ground and pound, ground and pound, ground and pound. Then in round four, there's more ground and pound, ground and pound. Uh, Khabib is striving to get the uh, hooks in and ends up get, getting Connor's back. After having a full mount, he goes to Connor's back. Connor gives up his back easily, and Khabib apparently got a neck crank, which makes more sense because I thought it was a rear, it almost looked like a rear naked choke at first, but it was about two seconds that they had the camera on this before the fight was over. Khabib had this in for about two seconds, but all I saw was that it wasn't under Connor's chin. I was like, huh. And then Connor tapped, and I was like, cool. Good. Good, good, good. Um, before we go and hop into the post-fight stuff, I have one more note. I forget which fight it was during, but during one of the fights, I know I had a note written. Oh, right, right. It was the Dominique Reyes versus Ovent St. Peru fight. So, th during this fight, they threw up the significant strikes, which I hate when they do this now. I used to like it because they seem to used to be accurate with, you know, the many other things UFC used to be accurate about. But I think they're either just blatantly lying to us about the significant strikes now to try. Sorry about that. I had some editing I had to quickly do. But yeah, they should really test the people, whoever they are, that count all the significant strikes, the other strikes. So I've seen fights where they counted strikes that didn't even connect. Joanna Jordeshik versus Rose Namajunas, they counted strikes that did not connect at all. Um, and yeah, it, they... they I think they need to test those people as well. So for this post-fight shenanigans, I'm going to tell you what happened and then what I got, uh, what currently is the news and outcome from Dana and what possibilities there are and what I think should happen. So this some of this is what I've gathered from the internet and what people have said. And some of it was from what I was watching after I saw what was happening after I took notes. Because I was taking notes and then all of a sudden I just hear everyone in the bar start yelling and I look up and there's a fight breaking out in the crowd. And I see Khabib and some nonsense happening out there. And then there's a fight breaking out in the octagon. Okay, so from what I gathered... Khabib Nurmagomedov, with his adrenaline hype butt, jumped over the octagon side, ran out into the crowd, and attacked Connor's 
jiu-jitsu coach. Fight ensued outside in the crowd. Police started breaking it up. Connor uh, and got Connor back into the octagon. Before that happened, fights started breaking out in the octagon between Connor and some people. So some guy hit Connor and Connor hit some other guy. And then they, yeah, please, uh, athletic commission were in there fixing that nonsense too. Connor gets escorted out of the octagon. Um, Dana tells Khabib, hey, I'm not giving you your belt right now. DC and I forget the other person in Khabib's camp were like, were being, you know, really well done about this. They got, you know, Khabib ended up getting escorted out. Then the official decision gets announced. Khabib got the win with the submission victory and for the neck crank in round four. So, according to the post-fight interview with Dana White, there were three guys from Khabib's team that were arrested for the altercation with Connor. Um, there's possible suspensions and fines. They haven't decided yet. Dana also said Connor acted well during the post-fight and didn't retaliate against anyone. Um, Dana, he's kind of caught on camera throwing a punch at someone inside the octagon after the fight. Just throwing that out there, Dana. He's kind of caught on camera retaliating. Um, he says... Per Purses are also currently being held by uh, Nevada State Athletic Commission. So, there's talk of stripping Khabib of the belt and suspending Khabib. I think that, I'm trying to think of a nice way to put it. I think that's stupid and unreasonable. Um, and you know, there's only one reason I think that's stupid and unreasonable. Get, don't get me wrong. What Khabib did was very unsportsmanlike. All that aftermath was very unsportsmanlike. There were a lot of people talking about it being very WWE-like. I'm gonna tell you all a secret. The UFC didn't just become WWE-like yesterday. They didn't just become WWE-like when it. DC called uh, Brock out. It's been like WWE. It was like WWE whenever Connor showed up. That's how Connor got his first title shot. That's how Connor jumped to take his second title shot. That's how Connor has done everything in his career. It's because he has brought WWE antics into the UFC. And it was Tito Ortiz and Chilson and sparked this entertainment stuff, and Connor has brought it to a new height. And people have fueled Connor being able to do this. Fans, Dana for one. So this WWE talk, it's been here. It's been here a long, long time. Y'all just apparently didn't want to see it until people like DC and Khabib started being slightly involved in this it has been here 
Now, with regards to possible stripping of Khabib, I think that falls into this double standard category of where Connor's the golden boy. We'll let him hold a title for two years before we strip him with zero def, you know, without defending. Connor legit attacked a bus back in April. He attacked a bus back in April, injured three people, got three fights scratched from that card. Is one of the biggest like mess ups of a pay-per-view card in UFC history and just made the whole thing go down from there. And everyone is online talking about how Connor uh, Khabib should be stripped. Connor was not punished by the UFC. He was fined by the State Athletic Commission. He got community he had to do community service given to him by the New York Police Department, but he was not suspended by the UFC. And he was stripped after because he hadn't defended the belt for a year and a half and the lightweight title was supposed to be on the line that night. So he got stripped after the shenanigans. So I think he might have gotten stripped before the shenanigans. I can't recall. So once again, it goes into this double standard. How are we going to punish Khabib, but we haven't punished Connor? I think if you punish Khabib, you have to punish Connor for the bus incident. It's, it's a double standard. It's nonsense. And I'm trying really hard to find good words to use to describe this this mockery you know I get the complaining about it being WWE like I get the complaining about it being unsportsmanlike but what I don't get is Connor fans hopping on social media saying Khabib should be stripped over this when this is exactly the type of stuff Connor McGregor does and Connor never got any punishment for it I think if Khabib gets punished, Connor needs to be punished. And I'm sure there's a bunch of fans just like me that are one more double standard away from being done watching the UFC. Y'all make it really difficult to watch with all the dumb, dumb decisions you do as far as wanting to strip people way earlier than they should be. When you let people hold titles way longer than they should without defending. DC shouldn't be stripped after only six months. Connor shouldn't have held two belts for a year and a year and a half without defending them. And now you got this Connor attacking a bus and Khabib attack, attacking a coach thing and all this assault. And yeah, it's too many double standards in the UFC and I really almost there was a point where I was just like I really wish y'all would just get your your act together because it makes me for a split second want to stop watching even though y'all have phenomenal fights get your act together though okay 
I'll let y'all know more once I know more. Keep uh, y'all keep updated on uh, the MMA Fan Podcast Twitter page. Just look us up, MMA Fan. See it there. Um, also, as well, we got new cover art. Uh, we got a slight change in pace for the intro, like few five seconds, because they took away my previous one, which I really liked. But whatever, it's cool, guys. Uh, you know, I didn't need that. And I didn't like that one or anything. So you can watch us on, you can listen to us on Anchor, Spotify, iTunes, Google Store. Um, I think there's about three or four other places you can listen to us on. I don't remember. But yeah, listen to us, give us a review. Let me know what you think so I can improve upon the podcast. Next time I'm going to try and do a preview episode. In the upcoming weeks though, I'm going to go back. I'm going to watch two, uh, 224, 5, 6, and 7. Or 525, 5, 6, 7, and 8. I'm going to go back, watch the episodes I did not do. The pay-per-views I did not do an episode for. I've watched them already. They were great fights as well. This year has been filled with great fights, as they normally are. But I'm going to go back, watch those, and bring you guys some review episodes for those in the upcoming weeks. Um, Follow me on Twitter. Subscribe to the podcast so you know when new episodes come out. I'll be back for UFC 230. And I'm possibly in the works of coming up with some more content and bringing you all more content for the fight nights. Uh, possibly Bellator fights as well. I'm working on some stuff. I'll let y'all know how well that comes about. But follow me on Twitter to keep updated and keep updated with all the news. And I'll try and bring y'all the rest of this debacle as soon as they get it to me. But I'm Justin. Hope y'all have a good Sunday. Hope y'all enjoyed the fights as much as I did. Uh, Thank y'all for listening. Follow us on MMA Fan Podcast, subscribe, and give us a review. Thank you, everyone. Thank you.